off top. When tiger sharks are pregnant, they have lots of little tiger sharks in there and they fight to the death. Only one is born. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. It's a good fact. It's a great fact. It's a great fact. Well, the PGA Tour, Live Golf. Uh, there's really not a perfect segue for that one right there. Also, it's kind of weird that sharks give live birth. Like, no other fish do that. I didn't know that. that. I know of. Well, maybe some other fish do it. I mean, dolphins and whales aren't fish, but Mammals. they give live birth. Yeah. But rest of them things lay eggs, I believe. Yeah. I mean, that's delicious. Caviar. <laughs> a little, mean, it's, caviar is overrated. I don't know. Little pops of salt with some, some, yeah, some I mean, creme that's fresh on a... That is a little pancake thing. That's the richest, whitest thing you've ever said in your life. I, I mean, caviar is overrated. It's just like balls of salt. I've, and maybe I haven't had the right caviar, but I feel like the only reason why you get caviar is so that you can say I got caviar because it's really not that delicious. I had caviar in a tasting menu. I've had it like a handful of times ever, and it was served with like a coconut ice cream. Fucking incredible. <laughs> I mean, it is the ice cream that was good. But the the little pop of salt and like uh, the, the flavor combinations, fish and ice cream. Blew my mind. Well, you know who's going to have lots of caviar. There's my segue. Mm, That's well done. PGA Tour, because they got lots of money. So I think everything changed. And I don't think just about golf. Yeah. I think this was a seismic shift in the future of American sports. And we'll get to that. But I think, first of all, most people probably know already that uh, Live Golf and uh, Saudi sovereign wealth fund who uh, is associated with the Saudi Saudi Arabian government, who is associated with terrorism, 9-11, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, a journalist. Um, Everyone was up in arms about them coming in to uh, start the live tour and players who went there were vilified and players who stayed at PGA were real American heroes. And now they've merged. So I think everyone probably understands that by now. Uh, However, I think what we can discuss that's different than what everyone else is discussing is how it's going to impact everything in American sports coming going forward. There will come a time because they own Newcastle which is a a premier league team, they are going to buy into the sports that we really care about. And that is coming at some point. It'll be interesting to see how we discuss it. You're going to have to pull me back in because I spent a lot of this morning thinking about the moral obligation that we have. And I went back, we probably should have had Mike Schur on again this week because he wrote a book called How to Be Perfect that really yeah. does an interesting job of dealing with like philosophy and morality. And there's a few chapters that are about how you make decisions and like the Chick-fil-A decision that we all had to make at some point where they were openly uh, kind of against gay marriage. And it's like, can I now eat Chick-fil-A? And now people are on the other side of this, where it's like Chick-fil-A hired a diversity officer. And now people are like, I can't eat Chick-fil-A because they're too woke. How, how dare they bring wokeness into our chicken nuggets? <laughs> so like, I don't know. I think it's something, it's a big, important, interesting conversation that feels like it's more prevalent now than before, where we have to make these decisions. And we all are like brands, not just like public 
people, but we all are kind of brands in our own community. And you have to, it's one about expressing what you want your brand to stand for. And it's two about how you feel morally about giving your money and time and effort into something that you are opposed to. So I know at some point this is going to frustrate you, but I like, we all think about it a lot. And I think we all make public displays that are, and this is not just me and you, everyone makes public displays. Uh, You think? No. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) About uh, things that we want to be associated with. And more often we make displays about things that we don't want to be associated Mm -hmm. with because we're looking to express, uh, are like like it's it's virtue signaling and without the negative yes. connotation that comes with it like essentially you're like look this is who i am i don't eat delicious chicken from chick-fil-a so because good. i am in pro-gay marriage or anything like we all do this all the time and uh, the reason why the book is interesting to me is because it talks about how none of us can actually be consistent with our beliefs and as globalization has taken over our country or taken over the world all the products and all the art and everything that we touch is a compromise like it's a moral conflict well it's also it's it's also we have access to an insane amount of information and access to an insane amount of opinions of people that we respect and want to be associated with who take hardline stances that are more hardline on Twitter, Instagram, whatever social media you see them on or television um, than a lot of their actions usually represent. So when you want to be associated with someone you think is a thought leader, you like, et cetera, et cetera, you start a decision tree based on what will get you closest to them. And so the start a decision tree is like the idea that we actually use heuristics to come to our opinions is not true. Like, I don't think that people start a decision tree. I think people have a feeling and then they go to that decision. And then at some point they reverse engineer how they ended up there. And I think. Oh, I, th- I think people can get swayed by this. By this no. things. I definitely. Like, I think. Swayed a ton, by what? I think a so, ton like, of people all, log the- on. Like, I think people log on to Twitter, to social media, and they're like. I think Dominique Foxworth is smart and handsome. Let me go to his Twitter and see what he thinks about Live Golf. Oh, he's appalled by this merger. Mer- I will also be appalled by this merger and yeah. I will virtue signal this vociferously. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I agree with you on that. Yeah. But I, I guess the difference is you said decision tree, which made me think that people actually go through like a heuristic to, to get to a decision that they're like, all right, so the... um. The Saudi Sovereign Ralph Fund is something that I don't want to be associated yeah. with and then go through, like, what am I going to give up to not be a part of this and like make a, a I should have said opinion tree. Yeah, an opinion tree. Yeah. And I do think that sometimes we inflame those opinions. Yeah. And I think overall, it's probably a good thing because shame, I think, is not a negative uh, emotion. It motivates while it does not feel good, it motivates people. It is probably stronger than just about anything to motivate people if the shame is the right type of shame. And that's about culture. It's about culture of a country, culture of an organization, culture of a family. If it motivates you to behave in a way that is more human and more just, then I think it's a good thing. Yeah. And people should fear shame. Part of the problem with the PGA decision is they don't. Or at least Jay Monahan, the commissioner, does not feel fear shame, does not care. And what I wanted to get to is when we have these big, like, 
boycotts or whatever. Like, I'm not going to do this. And like, I'm, I do it also. Yeah. Like, I make some decisions. The funny thing about the Chick-fil-A example is I remember when it all popped up and I was like, all right, I'm good. No more Chick-fil-A, which is delicious, but it's fine. It's an easy thing for me to no longer eat. And it was right around New Year's. I went to my cousin was having a New Year's party and he's gay. We got there. Whole layout. The whole spread. Chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A. And I was like, but we, I, <laughs> I thought we agreed on like, this. Yeah. And, it, and then he kind of like made the point like, eh, whatever. This is good. I'm not going to try to. I, I think he made the point that I'm always making is yeah. I don't expect my companies to be anything more than companies. And I make this point all the time about sports. For whatever reason, we think about sports and we think about art and entertainment as not businesses. But they are businesses, and this is where an ep- like an economics view of this about incentives will eventually they will remind you what is most important. Yeah. And we can get wrapped up in all the myth about our teams and all that stuff that we want to believe in that this that they care about the city and these players love the team and they want to fight for the team because they love it as much as we love it. Eh, it's a business. Yeah, I mean. It's absolutely a business and it's stark when it gets revealed because there's such an emotional connection to sports because of the institutions and what they've made people feel since they were kids. And to have it basically laid bare in front of you, it's impossible to have it not create significant amounts of cynicism, whether it's the live PGA merger or Kareem Benzema going to play in Saudi Arabia for hundreds of millions of dollars for a price that just seems so far above what any other league in the world could pay him, despite the fact that it's essentially anti-competitive to someone who was playing at the highest level to just turn that down for more money. Um, and I, I do think we do need to wind it back a tiny bit. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to do this. All right, fine. Go ahead. Let's wind it back to bring it back down to the micro. It's not the micro. It's this the this is something that I think you will actually care about. And that's the leverage of this from the players who didn't take the money um, from the live tour initially, because you said that we hailed them as heroes, whether it's Tiger Woods turning down seven hundred million dollars, Rory or John Rahm or something. But a lot of that was loyalty to the institution of the PGA Tour because they cared about the trophies that they were going to win. So now we're at an interesting point where there are billions of dollars um, flooding the PGA Tour, essentially, from the Saudi fund. Um, Jay Monahan is not a respected figure. And we have a handful of guys who are still incredibly important to the tour. Do they have leverage to make up some of the money that they passed up on? Does the PGA need to make it make them whole for what they passed up on? They have no leverage, and the PGA Tour does not need to make them whole. Um, I, I guess Tiger might have some leverage. What if he started his own, the Tiger Tour tomorrow? That's that's your only leverage is to stop playing. Yeah. And if you're the big stars and Tiger might be the only one who's a big enough star where it would matter. And I mean, he's not even playing consistently now, but he people show up when he shows up. Viewers show up. So I don't know that there is a golfer, a single golfer who has enough leverage to walk away and demand some money to get him to come back. That's why you need a union. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is so like the golfers 
tend to be a lot more conservative politically and much more opposed to the idea of a union. They're independent contractors and it works for them. But collective power is always the power that you have. And I think most of the time it's, again, I'm, you're, we're going to have this tug of war from small picture to big picture this whole time because this is this is what... Um, All I wanted you to do is to take the small picture and expand it. Okay. This is Go what, ahead. This is what, like... So what happens in like almost all businesses and just happens in life is everyone thinks that they are going to be the business owner or mm-hmm. the man, the person who is making the decisions. And because they believe that, they allow a lot of other things to take place that are not in their best interest and are only in the best interest of like the 1% or yeah. the, the fraction of the 1%. And that's kind of what happens in golf too, where everyone is like, all right, well, I'm gonna be the man. I'll make this. And they won't work together. And that's how you end up being. I feel dumb to say that they are being like exploited, but they're definitely being taken advantage of. And they were being used as pawns. And there is no way that any of them feel like you see tweets from golfers. They're like, I can never trust the PGA tour again. Why the hell did you ever trust the PGA tour? This is the conversation that I, that I say about Adam Silver and it's no disrespect to Adam Silver or any other league or any other coach. Great day for Adam Silver for the record. It is a great day for Adam Silver and Roger, all the other commissioners are Gary Bettman, Rob Manfred. They got off the hook looking great. Um, But it's not a judgment of them. It's understanding that the machine works in a way that it, it is going to incentivize them to when they have to make a decision, they are going to act against your interests. So like they have a hierarchy of things that are important to them. And when what the players want or what the golfers want or what the fans want is not in conflict with what the money wants, then sure, they'll make all the good decisions. They'll do all the right things. They'll say all the right things. But I recognize this because I would do the same thing in that position. When the when it comes down to a decision that is going to make the money happy or make the powerful people more happy and you work for them, you're obviously going to make that decision. So wrapping up these like personal, uh, I guess, like personifying companies is what we're doing. We're like, no, this is a good company. No, it's not. Well, then this leads to a follow up question I want to ask you because um, we're going to get more details that are just character assassination of Jay Monahan. The fact that he didn't tell Tiger Rory, he met with Yassir on a gondola in Venice and trusted him after 10 minutes. Um, he looked in his player's eyes and said, you re-architected the, the PGA Tour. This is going to work out for you. My question, I think we all agree it is not working out for them. Uh, <laughs> it worked out for him. Um, who won here, P- the PGA or Live? And the reason I say that is the PGA is now immensely funded. They essentially got paid to get rid of their competition. Um, but on the other hand, they sort of lost whatever theoretical or perceived moral high ground they have. Um, Live was essentially not a real competitor. The team golf was a joke. They had 3,400 people watch their last event in Washington, D.C. on television. Um, the PGA could have just let this die out in a couple of years. So did they win or did Live win, who now essentially what they wanted the whole time they have a chairman and they're essentially the controlling money of American professional golf, which is cultural assimil- assimilation in the Western world. It's what they wanted the whole time. 
So the money won. The people at the top won. The Jay Monahan and the leaders of the and the well, I guess no one owned the PGA Tour before, yeah. but the people who are cashing out right now, they won. Uh, and again, the Saudis won. They got what they what they were looking for, what they've been trying to do across a bunch of different major sports across the Western world. So like they all won. That's what always happens Mm -hmm. is the people at the top win. And even though it appears that they are in conflict and we have this happen all the time throughout business and politics and all, all other walks of life is the people who have the most power appear to be in conflict and may genuinely be in conflict. But you know what inevitably happens is Like they look around and say, you know what? Why do we have to lose? Why don't we both win and make the decision that makes the cost trickle down and the cost always this is literally the the meme of then they said the wealth would trickle down (laughs) yeah the pain is what trickles down and so again this is me going bigger picture than you ever want to go but that's that's what like that's what i see happening in sports it's a it's a reflection and a microcosm of how capitalism works and how it kind of always works and no matter what though the golfers are largely wealthy and are exist or at least the top ones the ones with power they exist inside the one percent they aren't high enough in that one percent they aren't in the fraction of the one percent they believe that they can get there which is why they behave in the way that they behave in order to to protect the power that they think they're going to one one day get and that's what happens to us as people all the time and then eventually inevitably the people at the top make the decision that makes them the most money and benefits them and the costs trickle down I'll talk about golf again, I guess. No, 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 no. The the only thing I was going to say is then if that's the case, do you think this merge, this type of merger was inevitable? Like, obviously, there are other. So you don't. I don't think it was. Well, oh, oh, I think it was inevitable because that's how it works. Because of the financial. I think that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the PGA would have would have been fine without the money yeah yeah it seems that they have existed just fine up until now and they would have continued to exist without it so uh, the reason why i think it's important to the whole sports world is what we mentioned Mm -hmm. and i was thinking about this this morning is as a player how would i respond to something like this yeah and it's hard to imagine a similar situation in other sports but i know i would say like i I guess the kaepernick situation was the closest one to it where it's it felt like the the institution itself was behaving in a way that was offensive to me and i was no longer a player but i know how i would have responded it would have been completely dependent on my financial security yeah a rookie first contract all that stuff i'm not saying a damn thing and i'm not kneeling like that was a tough thing during that time that i was uncomfortable with where it felt like the media was going around to all the black players and saying are you gonna kneel why are you gonna kneel why aren't you gonna kneel and it's like a it's unfair to them that they're somehow responsible for bearing the burden of the history of racism of this country and fixing it by taking a knee and also like they want to get their money too like why are they the ones it's hard to figure out how you want to because the the goal or at least the the feeling is and i suspect a lot of golf fans and just sports fans in general feel this right now is that they want the PGA tour to feel shame or pain. 
Yeah. The, the tour is, like I said, you don't want to humanize uh, organizations, so it can't feel pain. But the people, you want them to feel the the backlash. Like you mentioned, uh, they went from being viewed as being viewed in opposition to to live to now being associated with all those bad things. But and, there will be no cost. For and it. that's the the thing that I think is really interesting is it's hard. Assuming that all of these top players, whether it's Rory, Tiger, Rom, et cetera, starts taking checks, continues to take checks from the PGA Tour, continues to win PGA Tour events. Do you think, and this is hard to say on a case-by-case basis, it sort of contradicts their morality of not going to live in the first place? Like, were they against the Saudi money or were they loyal to the trophies that have meant a lot to them and the fact that they had enough money and they could get more fame and they could win the masters, the PGA, the open, the U S open. And those were had um, an institutional value that couldn't be replaced once they already, these are people who already have nine figures in the bank. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for those people, it was probably, honestly, I think that's where the shame comes into it. Is I think for those mm-hmm. people, they didn't want to deal with the public back backlash that mm-hmm. was going to come with it. And this is, I think some of it is like genuine. And the reason why I say that is like, I, I it sounds like I'm passing judgment on Rory or Tiger and mm-hmm. saying that they were being fraudulent. But the reason why I put that is because I'm projecting myself on them, on them and saying that if I did not have, if I was them, if I'm Tiger Woods, if I don't already have hundreds of millions of dollars, if I'm Tiger Woods and I've made, $200,000 my whole career. I think I would put whatever morality that I had aside and taking the hundreds of millions of dollars, which is yeah. an interesting way to look at this because I think the same is true for Rory. The reason why we had so much like judgment for the other people is like, but you don't need to compromise yeah. yourself. So like, I think we all understand the idea of selling out and we all understand the idea of like compromise. Like we buy cheap ass t-shirts from companies that we know exist in a moral gray or in a moral red. I, other thought, you were, I thought you were about to go full Levitard there. Oh, really? Just, <laughs> I just ran. Oh, the NBA in China. Oh yeah. I mean, like we accept all of that. We accept the, the, the mining of, precious metals in African countries to make the phones that we Mm. want for cheap. Like we accept we're complicit in all that. We buy oil. Like we are complicit in all that because billionaire boys using millionaires as toys. Don't start levitarding. We accept all of that because, because we don't like, I feel like it's the same comparison for if you are in a position to remove yourself from all that, the yeah. effort that it will require to live a morally poor or more morally pure life is, is too much of a cost for any of us to pay. So I think that's the same think, for yeah. the for the golfers. I mean, to be fair, I think that's like a slight oversimplification because now they're being forced to. They're yeah. they're literally being forced to make a decision to accept something from a company. That it's they not didn't oversimplification. Think. It's that I didn't answer the question that you asked. Well, and it's <laughs> yeah, it's, it also it, it removes gray area for how um, right you know it's basically giving up their living that they didn't think they're going to have to do twenty four hours. Ago. The reason why the question that you asked is interesting is because they do have it. it kind of forces uh, or forces them to decide. Ooh, to be honest about it's about it's like having when I was talking about the hierarchy for decisions for Adam Silver or for any other commissioner it's like 
money was important to them and they had that money so that was off the table and also like the the value of being associated with the PGA tour was important to them. And so they had that ding, ding, ding continuing to have a career is important to them. They had all those things and none of those things were in conflict before. Now those things are in conflict. And that's the most fascinating thing is buying into these events that we care about. Like it is so easy. It was so easy to ignore live golf, like watching some chintzy shitty production of guys who you don't care about playing in a tour and events you don't care about. Well, let me put it this way as a fan. And this is where I think that it's going to be really interesting. The French Open's going on. This could this could happen to tennis in a cocaine heartbeat. They could do this exact same thing. And I will still watch the French Open if it is bought with illicit means. And the reason I say that is like on Friday, the NBA finals are going on. But hands down, the most compelling sporting event going on in the world right now is Carlos Alcaraz to play Novak Djokovic. That champ, that match matters that trophy matters the history of that matters and if someone can overwhelmingly buy that history that is legitimately sports washing and using that to like assimilate that money to get what they want and it is really hard as a consumer to basically be like i no longer care about this thing that i have cared about my entire life because i know the um sort of insidious underbelly that is now funding it yeah i mean it's as uh, horrible as that sounds it is like that is top flight entertainment that will be there and is really hard to ignore it, and it's unfair to ask us to do so like it's baked into uh, our being and it's the same thing with like music that we love that's attached to artists that we find out haven't have done horrible things or movies and all that stuff it feels unfair to us to be like all right you watched you listened you've enjoyed this all your entire life it's core to who you are if this artist is someone you really care about and then we find out they did something terrible and it's like you know what let's take that part of your identity you're not allowed to have it anymore really tough being a jew who loved college dropout <laughs> and that and that's uh i don't know i think that the the idea that they can buy, and this is back to the idea that sports exist in this place where they sell us this myth that we all like love and enjoy and that history matters. Like you can't, like you mentioned Alcaraz versus yeah. uh, Djokovic. Jordan versus Jordan. It Baby matters. Jordan. Yeah, it matters on its own. So yeah. like you would watch those two just play on a court in DC somewhere. It would be amazing. Even better. But you know what multiplies it? is if they have the history of the French Open. Yeah. And to be able, and that history has value, and for a, a entity to sell that, it, something that it feels like it does not belong to them, to be able to sell that to someone else, I think is what's offensive That is us. A, That is the most offensive part, because that stuff feels invaluable. It feels priceless, but it, it is not. It yeah. is objectively not. That's, the- I mean, that's how you feel. I assume that's how teams feel or cities feel when teams leave. It's like, we as a city or a state or a fan base have tied so much are so much tied up in this and feels like it belongs to us emotionally. It, it, I don't know the proper analogy other than it feels like, like a drug. Like you have then you've gotten addicted to this and 
in the promise of it being there forever, win or lose, like you have some emotional attachment. You have attachment to friends and family and uh, and your whole community through this. If you've ever been in a city that's on a championship run or even in the playoffs, like I remember. Not often here. Yeah, not often here. But you feel the whole city feels yeah. like a certain kind of way. And the idea that you can just go off and sell that feels wrong. And the PGA Tour has done that and they've done it to their players, which is the the crazy part. But yeah, it's coming to other sports. That's the thing I find fascinating. Florio had the article saying that, sure, Saudi fund could buy an NFL team very easily. We know that the NBA wants to expand likely to Las Vegas and have LeBron as the face of that organization, mm-hmm. of that ownership group, whatever happens. And we know that uh, American sports are built under the complete BS premise of fairness under salary caps that um, are there to pr- protect smaller market teams with whether it's taxes, hard caps, aprons, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked to a CBA. Which is a fiction, to be clear. And it's, it's certainly salary. it's certainly going to be a complete fiction yeah. when there's literal FU money that makes all of these taxes and caps completely irrelevant. Yeah. I just didn't want on the Dominique Foxworth show for anyone to believe that the stance is that the salary cap is about protecting small market teams. That is not what the salary cap is about. The salary cap is about um, saving money. Erroneous. What I'm trying yeah. to say, okay. that's know, how it's, being, it that's how it's being portrayed. It's, it's personally offensive to me. Well, I can't have that. Well, that's the portrayal. That's what your right. your good buddies, Roger and Adam, that's what they want us to think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, That that's what the salary cap exists for. But you're right. It's going to do something different. And like we mentioned how uh, the Sovereign Wealth Fund is bought into soccer teams that, yeah. are, that go from being middling teams to future juggernauts in PSG with Mbappe, Messi, Neymar at one time. Yeah. And the difference is those teams do not exist in a cartel Mm -mm. in the way that American sports, like we call them leagues, but essentially they're legal cartels where a bunch of independent businesses are allowed to operate as one. And, and they operate as one, which means that there are no other buyers of your services. If you're a player and there are no other sellers of the product, if you're a fan or customer, and it allows them to do things like have salary caps. So in European soccer, it's a lot more it's a lot easier for the for the wealth funds or to other people to buy in because you only need one business to be like all right we'll let you in whereas the nfl and nba you need all of the governors and the team owners which are the team owners to to vote to allow someone in and the question that's going to happen at some point yeah is are they going to allow them in because one owner could be comfortable with selling to anyone because they're getting out they want to get their money that's fine they're cool with it but then because the league exists they have in their bylaws that you have to vote on it the other owners have to accept this person into their club and you might say no they would never do that this is the question yeah yes they will yeah and so let's and that's the whole point or that's one of the reasons why you have a commissioner is so that you can roll him out there for people to yell at after you have all decided that no, I don't want to sell my team for $6 billion or I don't want them to sell their team for $6 billion because then my team is valued at $4 billion. I want them to sell their team for $12 billion because then my team is valued at $10 billion. You just made real money that's not like liquid, but it changes the value of your franchise. Well, is that sort of the fiduciary responsibility of the commissioner and the other 
owners to want their teams to be sold for the highest price. Um, it's not the moral responsibility, but I think that's like that's like being that's on the, the board of any company. And these yeah. owners are essentially board members of the NFL. Right. And that's I mean, I guess that's or the, the NBA. Yeah. That's the problem, I, I think, is that we assume that there is some moral obligation that they obviously do not have. And the only the only because these these moral laws are not real laws. So like there are real laws that are recourse or the recourse for people breaking real laws is penalty. And we can talk about whether they can be faced with those sort of things or not. But it's like jail time. But there is like moral laws that we believe in that the recourse for that is what we get back to at the beginning. It's shame. It's financial punishment. And that sucks. The only way that we can hold these companies accountable that do the things that we find reprehensible is to not enjoy the shit that we want to enjoy, that we like and we feel like belongs to us. It's also just like, are we... (laughs) We just have had uh, working at ESPN uh, close to half a decade of shaming Daniel Snyder into selling the team. We expose like the inequities of Robert Sarver, of Donald Sterling, of Jerry Richardson. Are we really going to then just be like, all right, yeah, I guess we're going to just continue to talk about football when it's... But the, the dirty secret about all of those people is what really got them out is that the leagues and the other owners wanted them out. Well, what's, and, can they want someone out? Say, just, just put this forward. Say the yeah. Saudi sovereign fund yeah, but I get what you're saying. Like, can they, can they shame that person out? Like that? No, but it's I, impossible. I guess, I guess I feel slightly different. Is I think that the fire that built up around some of those people allowed the league to do something that they, the leagues to do something that they probably already wanted to do, but didn't have the impetus to do. And I don't see that happening in these other cases. But yeah, there. It's going to be really hypocritical of us all to be like, you know what, Daniel Snyder, we will not stand for Daniel Snyder in the league anymore. And then when it won't just be the Saudi wealth fund, but some other person connected to a country who's done undesirable things or have gotten their money in undesirable ways by the team. What are we going to say then? It's the well, actually Olympics. It's like when you are lowering the bar to a human rights violation record that's similar to that, it becomes incredibly difficult to have any sort of moral standard. And that's what we're on the precipice of. And it feels inevitable. Capitalism. Gotta love it. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, I will say that the one thing, and I was rereading uh, Mike's book again mm-hmm. today, and the one thing that he brought up that I thought was important to remind myself is what I what I hate about when we have these conversations when these things come up, there's inevitable what about isms yeah. in it. But just, where, I just did it. Yeah, I know. And I mean, it's normal and it's fine. And the question is, where do we draw the line? Yeah. And I don't know where to draw the line. I know that there should be a line though. And that, and there's a, the line is different for different people. It's what you can afford, what you're comfortable with, what you're opposed to, because there are things that I won't buy or things that I won't wear, things I won't listen to, things I won't watch that are, and I'm talking about things that I like because it's easy for me to be like, nah, I don't mess with Woody Allen movies. I don't really mess with Woody, Woody Allen movies. You know, like it's not hard for me to give up those things. You know, small side note on that. Uh, if you have, 65 year old white parents they try and tell you that woody allen movies are funny and you sit down and watch one of them you're like what the is wrong with you (laughs) yeah they i I don't know they they don't attract me i don't think i've ever watched a woody allen movie or read a woody allen book this gets back to one of my theories that nothing was funny before like 1985 (laughs) (laughs) what holds oh go back and watch some of those um the stand-ups that yeah. you think are hilarious. It's really funny to, to remember like Delirious. The first time I saw that, mm-hmm. like, I loved it. Hilarious. I watch it now. Like I recognize the premises are funny, but I'm like, this actually does it. just makes me too uncomfortable to, to laugh at. Yep. It's not funny or fun anymore, which is awful. But then I think back, like I wasn't a bad person. Was I? No. Shit. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> but uh, I forgot the point I was making before that. But it was probably some big societal point that was going to upset you anyway. You want me to talk about uh, sport ball? I got I got nothing left. Nothing left. Take it wherever you want. <laughs> Good. All right. Where else do I want to go? Hmm. All right. So, never mind. That was going to be a joke. That was not going to be funny. <laughs> it was going to be funny to me, but upset everyone else. I guess. Oh, I was making a point about where you draw the line and how different people decide to draw their lines and i don't know and the point i was making was like i agree and i believe that there should be a line somewhere but if we not if we're not going to draw it at 9 11 sorry i shouldn't have laughed at that yeah but, but i mean it's shocking it wasn't yeah. a laugh because it's funny it's yeah. shocking it's a laugh because it's surprising it's like what are we actually going to do about this 
I can say I'll stop watching golf, but the real question is... Big sacrifice there. Yeah, it's not a big sacrifice for me, but the real question is when it comes to something that you care about, which is why I think it's important for us to accept the inevitability that it's coming to football, it's coming to basketball, things that I like. And so while we are going to pass judgment and shame Jay Monahan, and I am not, trust me, I'm not doing whataboutism, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, I'm just also saying... We also need to prepare because football was hiding concussions. I still watched it. Yeah. They were actively hiding CTE. I still played it. I still watch it. They've done a ton of other things that are disgusting. Like the 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 idea that they kind of trot trot um Hamlin out there and like show it as like some sort of celebratory thing. Yeah, it it breaks my heart. Yeah, it's a tough scene. But I watched the shit out of that game and enjoyed watching the Dolphins put up a fight yeah. in that playoff game. So I don't know. I would like to wrap this up with some very poignant thoughts and direction to give people because I feel like this was a heavy podcast and it'd be nice to have a nice bow on it that makes people feel good going out into the world after this and gives them some guidance. But I can't. Thanks, Charlie. You're the man. Appreciate you. Thanks, Adi, Sarah, Christina. You guys are all outstanding, too. Thanks, people here at Podville. Goodbye. Tiger Sharks. (laughs) Tiger Woods. Mm. That was the connection. That was the segue. I should have said Tiger Woods. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. 